It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. What's going on, lacrosse fans? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network for another episode of Lacrosse Classified, Lax Class for short, as we're about to get into episode 138. Jake Elliott, not Brad Challenger with me this week, because I should have some like flashback music or Twilight Zone or, or something like that, but I welcome back my old co-host, to lacrosse classified podcast for this week and who knows maybe next we'll see how it goes but uh welcome back right off the top here one evan schemenauer evan good to hear your voice again and good for you to be back on the podcast we haven't caught up in a long time so i'm looking forward to this how are, how's it going it's a crazy life um the covid year was like a crazy crazy year for me where I was literally sometimes working 70 hours a week trying to keep two businesses, you know, in operation of, you know, giving them the advice to stay afloat. Um, so, you know, things have slowly started to go back to normalcy. Yeah, you had, ta- you had tax season in there as well. So that uh, that well, must have been a busy time for Yeah, and it's it's funny. Like, your, your work world went uber busy my work world went uber quiet like i still have not got in a broadcast booth since a year ago in march so almost 18 months we're coming up on since i've called a game like i've done a couple of drafts and and of course i got the podcast and stuff but my, my god like i keep getting my hopes that <laughs> things are gonna but we're close like i think the xll is ready to roll out i've been asked to, to do a little stuff with the midget team and so we're real close football season just around the corner and then of course the national cross league will be back in full swing uh in just a couple of months with training camps and all the rest of it so i'm looking forward to that and and um i know you're you're going through some crazy stuff with uh Durena and and all that right now but other than that man um it's good that you've kind of pulled through this and and man like uh it's been a, it seems like a long time since we've kind of caught up so other than you know the work and and, and the family stuff i don't know like what what else has been going on? i know you're trying to lose some weight for a while uh how, how's yeah, that battle not going? Too successful lately on that uh, me you know, maybe the stress and whatnot just kind of got to me but uh you know you know looking forward to the summer the SWAT season actually is going to start right away. I know John Fraser and I talked about potentially do it, you know, broadcasting some of those games online. So we'll see if that happens and some summer holidays coming up. Good. But of course, last week was the big bummer with the news coming out of Cowboys, where yeah. I worked there for three years and I know those people, and it's just. Well, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna talk to you about that, uh, obviously, and and this, like, man. Uh, by the way, before we get into it, because it's going to get a little heavy here on Lax Class uh, in the coming minutes, but uh, we got 
Calls to the hall are back. We we tried to line up Colin Doyle last week, did Brad and I, and, and we're unable to, to make it happen. This week, uh, Hollywood, Popeye, he's back, and he's going to join us on the podcast. So we'll look forward to that. And, and truth be told here, Evan, like I've been trying to line these guys up for the last few weeks, and, and some guys have gotten back. Some guys, It's been a little bit of a challenge, and, and I get it. Like summer, it's busy. People are kind of at the end of the rope with the COVID thing. So anyways, I, I've had to like kind of push and prod a little bit, and all of a sudden I got like four replies at once and everybody's like yeah i'm good yeah i'm good <laughs> like what am i supposed to do with this now so we're gonna record casey powell here coming up as well so you're getting a chance to be on two of the interviews for the calls to the hall and two pretty good guys i would say and colin doyle and casey powell so we'll air doyle this week we'll get powell next week and uh then i don't have to stress about get, getting a guest for next week during <laughs> Canada Day, which leads me back to to Cowis this year, uh, Evan, because, you know, no longer can I look at Thanksgiving the same way, and no longer do I think I can look at Canada Day the same way and be as proud of my country as I once was. That is now gone and, and gone forever as the dark history of this nation is starting to come to light and it's some pretty serious stuff. It's some pretty heavy stuff. And, and by no means is it a good thing that it happened, but it is sure as hell a good thing that it's coming out and it's going to be painful to digest and get through. It's, it's going to infuriate you. It's going to make you sick. It'll make you shocked. It'll make you sad. It'll make you embarrassed but it's all things that we need to know, we need to learn from, and we need to educate other people as much as we possibly can so we can move forward as, as a society, as a nation, and start to include the Indigenous people the way that they should be included in our fabric. And it's it's been way too long that... The First Nations people have been treated the way that, like I, and and I'm a little bit ashamed about it all, Evan, because I, like I honestly, I couldn't have told you what a residential school was a year and a half or even two years ago. I had no idea that this was part of our country's history. And I know you've worked with with the chief on Cowessis and 751 unmarked graves is just devastating and heartbreaking. And I know you're very close to it and. I, I think I said what I, I wanted and needed to say, and, and now I'll give you a, a runway to do the same. Well, just like you said, we were not taught in school about treaties or residential schools. When I thought back and what I learned in school about First Nations literally was any contacts they had with European explorers and the Riel Rebellion, just because it's such a major part of Saskatchewan's history. But that was it. And this was left out of the history books completely. And now, granted, I was out of Canada between 2000 and 2007. When I get back to Canada in 2007, my first job is with the FSIN, uh, the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations, which is the provincial body. And this is where my first real lessons with residential schools was happening because that was the time when the common settlement 
uh, was being addressed amongst the survivors. And over the years, elders have told me stories that shock and dismay everything you would ever want to believe. Like, I've talked to an elder from one First Nation I worked with a long time who was uh, sexually abused by the priests in charge. All right? I've talked to other survivors who tell me about beatings that they got. You know, even just for the slightest slip of the word of Cree that this happened. And I look at, you know, I, I think back, there was one story from an elder out at Muskegon that I was told. And this was, Muskegon was one of the last residential schools to close in 1996. 96. Let that sink in. Yeah. Now, this elder is significantly older. We're talk, We're going back into the 30s and 40s when she would have been in school. There's a story that she told me that I dare not repeat on the air because I would give you listeners nightmares. If you want to know the story, DM me. I'll tell you the story. But be prepared just for how shocking this one is. And to think at Cowessus and the Maryville School there, here's one shocking thing to you. Cowessus has five major highways within its vicinity. When I was there, there wasn't a single highway sign that would tell you where to get the calluses. Yeah. There were highway signs that would tell you how to get to Maryville <laughs> in 2018. It's, you know, it, it still <laughs> just shocks the hell out of me that a lot of reservations throughout our country still do not have clean drinking water. Uh, just a basic, basic yep. Necessity in your life, and and they don't have it, and and there's no reason for it, and and if you can't get your head around, you know why some of this funding and and stuff is in place for for the First Nations people, like figure it out because, uh, it, you know what what they do and, and what they get doesn't even scratch the surface of of what they need, so. We don't want to make this entire podcast uh, about, you know, Indigenous rights and and all the rest of it, Evan, but... But um, maybe what I'll do quickly is just tell you quickly about Calisus. It's uh, it's a lovely spot. It's in a river valley. Um, Beautiful golf course there. There's a provincial park only about two kilometers away. And there are three other First Nations right next door in the same river valley. About 4,500 citizens of Calisus, but only about 900 actually still live there. Um, and they're very lucky that Chief DeLorme is by far and away one of the best chiefs in the entire country. Yeah. This was before all this. Yeah. Right? He's that progressive. He's very solutions-based. Yeah. Right? Like, I think he should be probably like a, a spokesman for for it all, Evan, because as we know, and, and we do need to move on here, but like this is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and prepare yourself because there is a lot more that's coming and the pain's going to get really real. So um, important to talk about that. So when, when you're out, you know, celebrating Canada Day next weekend or, th- or this weekend coming, just keep that in your, in your mind and in your heart about what these people have gone through. And, and they don't look at our country through the same eyes that, that we do. Uh, and, and rightly so. So, 
Wanted to, I wanted to get that out there. Evan, we got a we got a big program coming up. Like I mentioned, we got Colin Doyle coming up, calls to the hall in quarter two. We got our Stampede Stallion of the Week. It works out well because it's my selection this week. Uh, so you're not under any pressure, but you got a chance to talk about the Stallion. Coming up in quarter number four, and then Quick Sticks, of course, in quarter three. But here in quarter number one, a little something we like to call the Big Focus. Big focus. Big focus. Focus. Another than a big focus. Focus. Big focus. So there it is. The big, big focus. Big focus. Focus. Uh, big focus this week, Evan. And I was kind of thinking, like, what are we going to do for a big focus this week? Because not, you know, major news hasn't really dropped as far as lacrosse goes. So you're the one that suggested it. You've actually uh, penned out an article here. I guess not pen. People don't really use pens anymore. But you've written an article or typed out an article. For Lacrosse Flash, random thoughts, it's coming, and it surrounds the upcoming expansion draft here for Panther City Lacrosse Club. So let's get into this. Uh, big focus is, is the, the expansion draft coming up June 29th, YouTube, 4 p.m. Pacific, 5 out there in the prairie, 7 o'clock back east. This is going to be a lot of fun expansion draft. Uh, well, give me your thoughts on, on what kind of approach do you think Panther City is going to take in the expansion, are they going to go like veteran laden? Are they going to go youth? Or are they going to get a mix? Do they pick a goalie for it? What are they going to do here, Evan? Well, the order that they pick the players in is irrelevant because they're the only ones picking. Right. right? No but, competition this year, which is definitely unique and, and takes a little pressure off thing, as well. The other thing that's going to make it unique is that if you don't want to lose a certain player, you only have one team that you need to work out a deal with. Right? You can do that. By the same token, if you wanted to get an unprotected player off another team, you could work out a deal with Panther City to trade once they pick him. Think about that for a second. Like three-way deals, we could see that as well, right? Like Calgary, you expose this player, we'll pick him, and then we'll flip around, we'll trade him to Buffalo because we're not going to pick the player that you don't want to lose. And by doing – so you could see lots of maneuvering here between multiple teams. We could see one-on-one deals. We could see three-way, even four-way deals to to everybody kind of gets their player that they want or, or gets to protect the player that they want. Right. And I think what Tracy Koloski's got to do here is he's got to go young. You know, as much as you would love to win every season. So go through the pain right off the start is what you're saying. Right. Get a team that's going to be reasonably competitive. You don't want a team that's going to go 0-18, obviously. But get a team that's reasonably competitive, but get a team that's young. Think about the current Saskatchewan Rush dynasty or what's left of it. That team was built not in one year. It was built over a long period of banking draft picks, getting youth into the system. Some painful years in Edmonton, right, Evan? Like some real pain in Edmonton. It looks all shiny and rosy once they get to Saskatchewan because they win a championship in their first year there. But they went through some heavy, heavy years of losing. Yeah. And, and, you know, here's the thing. When you look at players on that unprotected list, there's a few people that still have heart attacks about it. There's a couple things we got to keep in mind here. Number one, any player that's 34 years or older is not getting selected. They are, you can't even franchise them. If you pick them, they're a free agent on August 1st, and you can't even. Wasted pick. Wasted pick. Right, the wasted pick. So it's not happening. 
if, if you take a player between the age of 30 and 33, you could take one free agent out of that pool and franchise them. A.K.A. Chris Corbeil. I don't think that's going to happen. No, but he would be the prime candidate that falls under that category. Yeah, exactly. The See, here's the situation with Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan exposed Matt Hossick, who I, I believe that is the right pick. If you're going with a Yeah, he's good strategy. as gone, Evan. He's good as gone. Like, right. the tractor is gone, and, and I'm sad about it, but that's what's going to happen. You know, the only way that that doesn't happen is if somehow there's a team out east who offers you the moon to draft Chris Corbeil and trade him. It's the only way it happens. It might. It might. So you say go young. I I kind of agree with that as well, Evan. Although, like, new city, new team, new you got to engage that fan base as well. you got to be able to put up some wins. So, and, like, you can't just have a full roster of young players with no leadership, with guys that have done it for years in that league and know how to steer you in the right direction to develop you in the proper way as well. So, although I do agree, I think it's going to be a, a young uh, a younger roster there in Fort Worth, you will see some some veteran leadership sprinkled throughout that lineup, including what might be a, a, a veteran goaltender as well with some stability back there to kind of help a young guy along as well. Well, I, actually, I don't think that's going to happen. All right. There's, well, that's fine. There's, we there's can a couple, disagree there's a couple on goaltenders, There's a couple goaltenders that are out there. They're younger, but they could be your franchise guy. The two guys that I think are—I think they're actually going to pay, take two goaltenders in this expansion draft. Mm. One is being Nick Demood, which I was actually shocked that that San Diego did not protect him. They took—they decided to protect Frankie Chiliano instead. I would have taken—I actually—I honestly would have protected Demood. He's younger. The games he's played, he's played extremely well. I think his goals against average was just over nine. Small sample size, though, right? Small sample size. Small sample size, but when you're looking to your future, that's probably where you want to go. The other guy that I think they're going to take is Kevin Orleman. I always said Landon Kells, maybe. Well, but here's the thing. Orleman has a lot more experience, at least at the MSL level. He doesn't have much NLL experience at all. But this is the thing. If you think back to when you had John Arlotta on the program back in October, mm. he told you flat out the reason that he took Rushka in the opening round was he knew he was going to lose a goaltender, whether it be this draft or the next one. Right? So he had to have that backup plan. Yeah. And I think he'll lose at this time. Well, Poulin, but, you think Poulin's going to go? Poulin's not going anywhere. No, Poulin's over 34. Yeah. So, so you, do you think it's Rushka or you think it's Orleman? I think it's Orleman just because Lane's experience, like literally at this stage, is Minto Cup and a partial season in the ALL, mm-hmm. right? That's going to take a little bit more time. And the thing is, you're pro- you know, Panther City's in a situation where they might lose a goaltender next year to Vegas, right? I don't know. I don't know if, like we saw, Vegas isn't even in on the, the, the crack in Dra- expansion draft so maybe there's a, a mm-hmm. like i don't know but then again the riptide and and uh i'm drawing a blank here the rip who did the riptide come in with Evan? riptide got steve orland yeah no but i'm saying they're they they have to they're they're, they're uh, exposed to the 
expansion draft as well. Yeah, they are. Being a new franchise. Now, so I'm just thinking maybe they give Panther City a, a year off to, to keep their roster intact before they have to play that game as well. well maybe not. It all depends if they get a cut of the expansion fee or not. Um, now, when I look at this roster, here's the thing. There's a lot of players that were drafted in the 2020 draft who we never got to see. Right. That are unprotected. Yeah, it's a gamble, right? Who drafted. you protect and who you didn't. Like, it's – you don't know. And here, here's a few things that – like, there's certain guys that I will say I'm pretty certain are going to go. But here's a couple just to put in the back of your head. Do you take Chris Wardle off of Colorado, or do you burn your one franchise on Joey Capito? Mm. Right? Well, Knowing that Wardle's got one year before he's a free agent. I I probably take Capito. Just I think that I think right. Hamley's the one that drafted Capito for one, so they're I think they're from the same area for two, so there's probably a pretty strong bond there. Uh, Capito's a guy you could like market your franchise around. Like he's the best at what he does. So mm-hmm. I probably, I probably that's where I use it. Like lots of good years ahead for Joey Capito. Evan, we've it's gonna be real interesting to to see how this kind of plays out. Uh, Thirteen picks. Well, they can I get, get for you one more? Yeah, sure. Okay. If you're looking at Halifax's roster. Do you take Chris Bushy, who hasn't gotten the lineup whole lot, but when he does, he has these moments of brilliance? Mm. Or do you take Ethan Riggs, who was their first-round draft pick last year, and they didn't protect? Yeah. Ah, man. It depends what they do with the other players that they select. Like, if they go after right-handed O, then do they need Bushy? Or do they, you know, like, I... I th- I like the size and the speed of Riggs on the back end. I think you need to kind of build from the back out. That's kind of my philosophy. So I probably take Riggs in that situation. Although like Bushi is a bona fide NLL player. He's just up against it in Halifax there over on that side. Right. So yeah, uh, it's going to be real fascinating to watch out. Devin Keeney will have all the action for you, and they'll have dignitaries throughout uh, Panther City. Some guys uh, affiliate with the roster, and, and or the franchise, I should say, and some guys uh, or some people that that are not. Like I think some WNBA players are going to make some picks, and and some other people as well. So going to be a fun night, June 29th. Facebook or no, YouTube is where you watch. That one. Evan, that was a big opening quarter. I'm not really surprised because it's been a while since we've chatted. But let's get to break and let's get Colin Doyle on the line. Calls to the hall coming up next year on Lacrosse Classified. Back after this. Hey, guys. This is NLL Hall of Famer Sean Williams. And you're listening to Last Class, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified as we move into the second quarter here of episode 138. And here in quarter two, we like to do a little something called Calls to the Hall. As you may or may not know, the National Lacrosse League has a brand new class of Hall of Famers. Ten, in fact. Uh, We crossed Pat McCready off the list. Couldn't get this man on the line next uh, or last week because, honestly, I think this guy might be the busiest guy in lacrosse right now. But we got him on the line right now back on the podcast. It's the fourth all-time leading scorer in the NLL, six championships. I want to say three MVPs in there as well. 
Colin Doyle back on the podcast. Uh, Popeye, good to chat with you once again. I know you just uh, hopped in the big rig there. You're on the road. So drive safe while you chat with us here, but appreciate you doing this. How are things back there in Ontario? Things are good. It's hot. It's hot, but it's Oh, good. come on. What are, you, what are you back there? Sorry to cut you off, but we're talking like 39, 40 degrees here in BC right now. What's it back there? Today we weren't too far off. I think I, thought there, uh, I saw 37 at one point, okay. so it was a warm That's one. hot. That is hot. Hope you got the we AC can't complain, going. No, no. Yeah, everybody's getting us. Yeah, and if uh, you know, like, if this doesn't kill off COVID nineteen, I don't know what will. Like, it's 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 not the truth. It's ridiculous, man. So what? Uh, before we get into your your Hall of Fame career, why, why don't we start with the stuff at the track, man? Uh, I know big things, uh, Rock Elite League, and all that has expanded. You've you've kind of uh, opened things up a little bit more. Is that where you're coming from right now? Is you, you're heading home from from coaching? Is that what was going on? That's right. Yeah, we had uh, girls programs running all day today, and yeah, you're right. We got uh, you know a whole new menu of things there. Uh, took a, it was a long time in the making, but uh, an expansion of our Rock Elite League, which has been a tremendous success for probably close to nine years now. Uh, we're getting into um, you know uh, you know teams that are going to travel a bit more, play a little bit more, train a bit more. So yeah, we're moving on into into a new venture. Uh, really excited about it. Like I said, it's been something that's did you, on top of my mind. Yep. Did, did you have any idea, like when when the playing career was winding down, and and you were like, well, like, did you have that, any idea what you were gonna do post playing career, or did this like was a, oh was, sure yeah oh yeah I, I I mean I had always planned on just teaching, uh, not just teaching. I planned on being a teacher. I have uh, you know I have my degree, and I've been teaching. I've been teaching probably close to eighteen years now, kind of supply teaching and this and that. So my plan was to ri- uh, retire and just get full-time into teaching. But, you know, this track thing came up and a few other things. I have a sales job as well, and I have a, a small business that I run on my own as well. So, you know, I, I always thought it was going to be teaching. It, it's not, but it's, uh, you know. Well, coaching is almost like sure. teaching, right? Like coaching is teaching, essentially. It is. It is, and it's in something and doing something I love, as we all know. So it's a pretty good fit for me. I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, with us having the facility in Oakville, it's uh, it's just a perfect fit. So I, I'm quite happy doing it, and I'm happy to be doing more of it. So let's go all the way back. Your early days in Waterloo. How did you get started in lacrosse? Um, it, funny story. My father took us to the mall to sign our me and my older brother up for sports, and lacrosse was uh, starving for, for registrants. So he asked if he and I could play together. Uh, he's uh, two years older than I, I was at the time, and they said, yeah, no problem. So there it was. That you, was it. You had no idea what the sport was or what it was all about. You just like, we're, we're going to do this. None at all. I was three. I think my brother was five, and uh, my father had never seen it before. And it was just uh, wow. it was the <laughs> It was the first booth we saw, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's funny, you know, because it's usually when you ask somebody that question, it's like a friend of a friend or a friend of the family or my big brother played or my dad played. But you guys just, like, your dad needed to put you guys in something, and it was just like you stumbled upon it, and then it, you you literally work your way into an, an absolute legendary career, man. I, we're going to talk a lot of NLL here because this is an NLL calls to the hall, but before we get into that, like I was talking to Brad, I guess it was last week, and I was saying, like, so much to talk to Colin about. And, and th- like, I think to myself, like, you were part of three of the craziest Man Cup scenes that I've ever seen play out. And you can probably come up with these in your own head, but for people that don't know, 
2001 Coquilla Madnax, their only Man Cup championship. You and Kimbo Squire working your magic there late in Game 7. Not only do you tie it up, but you, like, I mean, biggest moving pick of all time. Let's not kid ourselves here, Colin, but... Summer lacrosse, Jumbo, you got to <laughs> let things go. Yes, you do. In it goes. Adnax win in, in Game 7 in the dying seconds. Uh, that was incredible. I flash forward to 2009 at Queen's Park Arena, Brampton Excelsior's New Westminster Sandbellies, and, of course, Game 1... You're the man that gets clocked that a bench clearing, like a full blown scale bench clearing brawl ensues after that. Um, this, this series goes on to seven games as well. All four of your wins come in overtime. I believe you get the game winning goal in overtime in game seven as well to seal it for your Excelsiors. And then 2013, as a member of the Six Nations Chiefs. Like you can top it, but you put on goalie gear for crying out loud, Doyler, and and you win yourself a man cup with the Six Nations Chiefs. I think that was number seven, if I want to take a guess at that. Yeah. Out of, out of all, like t- you tell me, what was the craziest one? Oh one, oh nine, twenty thirteen, or or maybe a different one. I, I gotta think. Uh, oh nine, I still think was the most improbable. Um, you know, the brawl and everything that happened was was certainly a part of it but uh you know the way we came back and won that game seven we were yeah. dead in the water yeah. and you know we were up against uh you know a team that just physically had taken it out of us and uh you know they get the ball on a man up you know with under 30 to go and you're just so devastated so defeated no goalie in your net right no goal in our net you're dead in the water the improbable happens a, a guy who hasn't scored probably in three years <laughs> six one in and you go to overtime and you win um so i, I you know that 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 one is pretty near and dear to my heart for sure. The the atmosphere of that was incredible. And then you know, Coquitlam holds a holds a spot in my my memory bank and my heart as well because uh, it was real special to win with them. And then the way we did it again, it was magical. And yeah. having nine eleven in the middle of that as well, like we had right, uh, right. Game means, six. Yeah, yeah. Game six was delayed two days because of, of right. uh, you know that tragedy. And there's a lot going on. And then uh, of course playing that. I mean. So I can't decide, Jumbo, long-winded. They're, yeah. they're great memories. Yeah. Um, I can't decide. Each is more you know, more special than the next when you go through them in, in order, but they just bring back great memories, all of them. Now, there's one thing that I was looking back in your career that I honestly couldn't believe because maybe I didn't know it at the time. You were actually drafted by Rochester and got cut. Absolutely, yeah. There's the old... Uh, Six Canadian rule, um, right? Right. You yes. know, so to, to make a roster back then, you had to be one of six Canadians, and I went and had a good tryout. Um, played pretty well, but I remember they just they didn't keep me. Who cut somebody you? Else. Who was it? Paul Day. <laughs> he listens to the program. He's yeah. going to hear that. I love it that he's going to hear that. Paul Day. Yeah, Paul knows full well where we're at with that. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I bet. Well, listen, man. But, but I mean, when that happens, do you just you know do you pick up and you go to the next one, or you know what was what was your mindset at the time? Well, I think I was only in my third year of junior, and I think yeah, I, I I didn't think anything of it. I just figured, okay, well, I still got to like maybe I got some work to do. Have I you ever been cut before, work. though? Like, was that the first time you ever been cut? Um, yeah, more that's a tough. No, that's a tough. Yeah, more likely. Yeah, yeah. It had been a long time since I'd been cut. I, I'd made maybe cut in hockey somewhere, but yeah, it was. It'd been a long time. 
But again, I wasn't totally floored. Uh, you know, I'm out there with a with a group of men, and sure. they could only take six of us. I, I didn't really. I, again, I thought maybe I should have made it, but I didn't think anything of it. So I, you know, I went back to junior and played, and then lo and behold, the, you know, best thing that ever happened to me was getting cut from that team. There, there isn't a question in my mind. Well, you come back. 1998 is when it began with the Ontario Raiders. Uh, remember the Raiders. And then, yeah, like, and, uh, man, yeah. tell me about it. Tell me, tell me that, I mean, because that's like Maple Leaf Gardens. That's first year back in Toronto. And, like, that that was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it was amazing. And I got, I, I, again, if memory serves me correctly, that the Raiders, when they started, were able to protect seven players that weren't part of a team or something like that. I can, but we ended up, the list was like, I was on it, but it was like Bobby Watson and Chris Gill and... Stroop um, and Hurd, yeah. Stroopy and, and Coyle and uh, Jim Veltman ended up on that list somehow, like, because he had been away in Uganda and he didn't play for right. Bandits. Like, <laughs> so we had this incredible team to kick off with. It took us a while in Hamilton to find our footing, but I think we won the last five games of the year and Philly won it that year. And I remember we were in Philly the last regular season game of the year. We beat them like 19-7. But we, we didn't get in, and they went on to win, and I can remember their their general manager at the time coming into our room and saying, right, we are so happy you guys are out of this thing. Yeah, so I think it was we knew Jimmy we had v, something yeah. good. Yeah, and we had this great group, and, uh, you know, we moved to Toronto, and then, of course, like, you know, again, the unthinkable happens, and, you know, we're all of a sudden playing in front of sold-out crowds at Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens. Again, there's no rhyme or reason beyond it. It just it was an incredible run we had. So of all those titles in the early days – which one's the most special? Is it the first one, or is it that crazy finish in 2000? Which one is it? It's got to be that the toss goal one. I mean, uh, I think that was 2000. It has to be. I mean, again, we had some traction. Everybody in the city knew who we were. We were selling the place out. It was electric. And, of course, that goal, I mean, against a very good Rochester team. And, uh, I mean, that goal. I mean, what else can you say? Uh, it's ingrained in my memory. It How sick do you think O'Toole goal. is having to relive that every time it comes on? Like, my goodness. It must be tough on him. Because, of course, he's a world-class goalie. Oh, and he's Hall of Famer. Unbelievably hard to beat. But, you know, uh, look at that shot. It was in the only spot it could go to go in. Yeah, incredible stuff. Uh, as we speak with NLL Hall of Famer here, Colin Doyle, and 98 to 2016, a little three-year stop there with, with the stealth organization. But, you know, Toronto, Toronto, Toronto. And and I look here, Doyler, and, and uh, I'm looking at your games play, just one short of 300. But I think the most impressive thing to me here from, what is it, 02 to 2011, you didn't miss a game. Uh, and, like, I don't – I think the numbers are, are still there, obviously. If, if but like you stayed miraculously healthy, especially with the kind of game that you played. Yeah, there's something to be said about like you know when when you only get to do it on weekends, you, it's going to take a significant injury not to do it. Like you wait all week to get on the floor and play in front of a huge crowd. Like I just didn't come. Like I had played through a ton of stuff just because. I'm not missing this. This is why you do it. Like I get to go to Philly this weekend. I'm jumping on that plane and whether I'm healthy or not, I'm going to play in the game. Yeah. So, you know, my mindset was always that I, you're right. I took a beating for the majority of my life, but you know, <laughs> hey, man, I don't know what year yeah. it was, but I remember like giving you one in the back, back of the neck in a, in a playoff series between New West and Coquitlam. And like, I put you down, but you, you, I don't know if you know, you remember this, but like we, you, we came out. I remember you, you, <laughs> You literally broke a titanium stick over top of my head between periods. 
Of course I remember. I can tell you right now, I don't know I don't know that I, I took more pride in, in beating nothing made me happier, I, I think, for an extended period of time than beating New West because yeah. it was a war of attrition for me because uh, physically it was welcome to Western Lacrosse to the WLA and uh, nothing made me happier. No offense, Jumbo. Nothing. No, made no, me no. You guys there. dominated us for that three-year stretch. Like you, I think you swept us two out of the three years that that we matched up as well. But yeah, you know, uh, it's the game that I love to play, and I didn't want to miss. I didn't ever want to miss. Yeah. Well, I like, and, and yeah. I want to bring this back because a, a guy that you go into the Hall of Fame with in one John Grant Jr. You guys played for a, a time together in the summer in Coquitlam. And, like, I don't know what the relationship's like, but I know one thing is that you guys were hyper, hyper competitive with each other and really pushed each other to levels. Like, I don't know if you reach without the other guy, and I think Junes would feel the same way about you. Like, he wanted to be better than you, and you wanted to be better than him. Even when you guys played on the same team together, it was competitive. Tell me about that relationship and how he motivated you. Well, that's it. I mean, like, uh, you know, it, it, there's something to be said about uh, everybody's got one, right? If you're a top player, you've got somebody that can do it as well as you or better. And, you know, I think pride and competitiveness, you know, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You don't – they push you to be better and better and better. They push you to make your teammates better. They push you to, to win. They push you to, to succeed. And, you know, he was that guy. There isn't a question about it. And he'll be the first to tell you. And – Look, I got a lot of respect for Junior, but, you know, we weren't always on talking terms. It, it wasn't <laughs> yes. like it is now yeah. where everybody, like, you know, I don't know what it, you know, what you see, but, you know, he and I would cross paths and it, he wouldn't be friendly. It would, you know, it would be. Uh, there was respect there, but there was disdain as well. Absolutely there was. And there was more, like, a ton of respect. I think John's the best player probably to ever play this game, maybe aside from Gary and Paul and JT. And yeah. there, you could make the argument that he would – I mean, there isn't an argument. He was more skilled than probably all three of those guys. But it was just a different time. I respected the hell out of him. He made me a lot better. I'm happy to be going in with him for sure. And, you know, now he and I can look back on it, I'm sure, and laugh and have a beer and all those other things. But in the, in the heat of the moment, we yeah. were always against one another. Yeah. Um, it was Rochester, Toronto. It was Peterborough, Brampton. It was, you know, on and on and on. And we were always playing for high stakes. And you said it. He, he made me better. And uh, it's good to have those. Early in your career, you had a who's who of coaches. We're talking Bartley, Camo, Keenan, Sanderson. What was your main takeaway from these guys? Well, I was I was probably too much of an asshole to take anything away from it. <laughs> You've grown Sorry, since then. No, no, you can, you can. It's fine. It's totally but, you fine. Know, I, I look back at that, and I, I was I, I learned so much, but I didn't learn it until I was well. They had they were out of the picture because I was young and naive, and uh, I was hard to coach. You know, uh, to an extent. And a lot of what they taught me didn't sink in till I, till I had to become a veteran myself. So, mm. you know, Eddie and I had a great relationship because he was so good with the X's and O's, but there were times where I didn't want to be so structured and we would fight about that. And, you know, Les, Les was super structured, like, to, to a, you know, from my opinion, to a fault. And Detailed, yeah. I wanted to run wild a little bit, but, he, you know, he reined me in. He knew when to push, when not to, and... Again, what you know when he passed, uh, you know I was able to reflect so much on what what he had taught me, and he served me well. But it wasn't until I was later in my career. But 
you know, like you just said, there's Hall of Famers there all around me. It's, you know, and then you go through the player list that was on that bench from a leadership standpoint with Coyle and Stroop and, and those guys and Jimmy. And, you know, I learned so much. But, again, it was hard to take it all in when you're a 19-year-old. Yeah, you, you kind of think you know it all and, and you're on top of things. That's right. And, and June said the same thing. Like, it took him a long time to figure out how to be a good teammate. The player inside of him was always there, but – the other side of it on, on how to get the most out of his teammates took him a little while to figure out. And it sounds like it, it kind of took you a little, a little while to figure it out as far as being able to accept proper coaching. And, and I, and I look Colin like five, like he averaged five points a game your entire career, which is, which is nuts. And, and I think I asked you this before and, and you played with, with a lot of guys over on, on that left-hand side, but was it Kimbo Squire that you think you had the most chemistry with when it came to oh. running the pick and roll? No doubt. I mean, no doubt. I, I really didn't even have a ton of pick-and-roll experience or two-man game experience at that time. Um, and he really opened my eyes to how, how good it could be. Yeah, there's no doubt. He, he was the best I, I ever did that with. Um, yeah, just, it's, was, it's magic, right? Like, yeah, just it was almost like a sixth sense. Like, you guys knew exactly where you were going to go, when to run the double, when to run the slip, when to, you know, like, it, it, you didn't really have to communicate. You guys just knew. We didn't, and we rarely talked about it. He was kind of a quiet guy, but, man, he was so gifted at uh, at, at that. And, yeah, it, you, he was the best. And uh, you said a sixth sense. And, like I said, I don't know that I, I had a lot of players where I had that on the right side with, but I don't know that I ever found that again on the left side. Yeah, I really don't know about that. It was pretty magical with him for that, you know, five- or six-year period. When you come back from the stealth, uh, you know, Jamie Dawick buys the team. The first thing he does, he wants you back puts you in the captaincy role. Talk about your relationship with Jamie Dogg and how it developed over the years. Well, when I got that call, it was kind of bittersweet. You know, I felt like, look, we, we were on to something good with San Jose, and I knew it, and I knew we weren't too far off. And, of course, that, that story writes itself a year down a year later. Sure. But, so, but the, with the team moving to Seattle and Jamie buying the rock and word kind of getting out that they might want me back, I you know, I was uh, – I was – I wanted to go back. I think uh, I wanted to be back with the Rock organization. I wanted to be part of rebuilding it. So it was. Uh, I'm glad it worked out. But he and I have come a long way since then. I think he he had a lot of respect for me. I think more so probably because he didn't know me, but through through Troy Cordingly and Terry Sanderson, I think they were kind of nudging him to say, "Hey, let's do this." And he went with it. And we really haven't looked back. I've got a relationship, a real a real certain relationship with him to this day. You know, he's. You know, he's, he lets me run this uh, lacrosse thing at the track, uh, all of our track athletics programs. I'm around a lot, and uh, he's been real good to me. But, you know, we talk lacrosse all the time, and uh, the relationship has grown since then, almost 11 years now. So it, it turned out to be a great thing, and I'm happy he did it, and I'm happy I'm back with the organization that I love. Over 1,500 points in the National Lacrosse League. We speak with Hall of Famer Colin Doyle, and I – frequently refer to you Colin as the most clutch lacrosse player I've ever seen so when the moment the big moment is on the line when the team needs a a goal or or a turnover or whatever it is that is when your light shone the brightest and not everybody has that in their DNA where where does where did that develop inside of you does that something that you've always had or does that something that you developed over time no, I, you know, I didn't have that in junior. I was a good player, and but we really didn't win much. 
Um, you know, we never even won a playoff series in my five years. And uh, when I got into Toronto, you know, we won immediately and it just kind of happened. I, you know, it wasn't, you know, people will always tell you, you don't, Hey, I'm going to be clutch tonight. You don't, you can't tell yourself that. I, I think the coaching staff put me in a position to succeed uh, when the chips were down. And then you know how it is. If you get an opportunity, you, you don't want to let it squander. And I think I was gifted a few opportunities early. We had some success and the ball would slowly end up throughout my career in my stick as the game went on. And, I was comfortable with it, but I think that's the biggest compliment that you could you could pay to me. I mean, the fact that you think that, and the fact that you know. Oh no, I, I, there's I, no denying that. Either. Like I mean, then I then yeah. that makes me proud because at the end of the day, you play this game because you want to win, and uh, if you can be a part of winning and your your teammates can trust you, then I think that's a that's quite an honor. One of the games that I still vividly remember to this day, 2006 in London World Field Championships. And I'll argue that this is the best Canadian team that was ever assembled with Chris Sanderson, Brody Merrill, Gate Grant, uh, Jeff Snyder, all of them. The Americans throw you a bit of a curveball in the final by trying to lock Grant and Gate and basically saying, okay, Doyle and Sawicki, you beat us. Talk about that game and how the heck you managed to beat them so well. Well, again, uh, you know, you reflect on it, and they had us. Uh, they, our coaching staff, had us so well coached, and they they kind of took a different approach to it. Instead of trying to beat the Americans at their own game, was that Frankie? Did something? Was that Frankie calling? That was Eddie Como okay. and uh, the, uh, his crew. There, Mernsey was a part of right, it. Right, uh, right. And like, geez, just just a the context, like get get. Tell me your your field across experience because that team was had yeah a lot of like JT tons of box players that had never played field across before right yeah it was like Billy D Smith myself with uh, Andy Turner a kid named Marshall they, they they put a bunch of us in midfield and they played us in lines and they kind of took the approach where come, come run out of the box on offense and play against the short stick and see if we can make something happen because they're going to long pull junior and, all, and, and again, they made the mistake of nobody knew who Zwicky was at this point. And I think he was five a game, every game. <laughs> and yeah. the, the way we approached it was just different where we didn't try to beat them at their own game. We went to a box game. It was two man sets all over the offense. Don't turn it over, look after it, but attack them at their weakest point. And, and it worked. And I don't know how, again, we got great goaltending and defensively, obviously we were so good, but it just, it, it was like, I had to play midfield and I was scared beyond belief because I, I can't run with these guys at all. And they just said, if we lose the that ball, wasn't your specialty, the was it? <laughs> no, no. And I, I can remember in, in a game getting hung out on defense against J.J. Albert and just being oh, like, God. I, I have never been so scared in my life. And he, he came and went so what? quickly. I, I just went up the field in case we stopped. Just it. so you know. Yeah, it was a different approach, but we were well coached. We believed we could do it as the tournament went on because we gave them a great game in the round robin and we lost in overtime. And I think that gave us enough belief that maybe we could do it. But that, that was a great memory, too. But what a team. The, built, the team was just built differently because none of us had a ton of experience. Sean Williams. Yeah. You know, he had played some uh, field across at Brock, but, you know, he wasn't a traditional field player. But there he was running the second line midi. Uh, you know, with Gavin Proud, it was great. Yeah. Hey, uh, just so you know, like that's how I felt with like everybody coming on me, J. J. Like that's that that was everybody for me, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, 
Hey, now I know the feeling. Jumbo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As uh, a couple more minutes here with Colin Doyle, and, and it's something we try and ask all our new Hall of Famers is, it could be a rock guy, or it could be a guy that that you played against uh, your entire career, or even a coach or something. Colin, uh, if there's a guy that you think belongs in the Hall of Fame right now that that's not in there, do you got a name that comes to mind? Oh, I, I gotta think, Nate, like. This year's class, I don't think Sandy. Sandy didn't get in. No, he will. No, he in. will though, right? Like Sandy's yeah, gonna go. He, he would. Yeah, he'd be the teammate that I think I played with that isn't in there. I would. I might need more time to. There's probably a lot I played against that aren't in yet. But as a teammate, you know, Sandy was near and dear to me, and he he was one of the best who ever did it. So I'm sure he'll get in in his due time. But he he's one that should be in. Absolutely, Evan. You good? Well, you know what? Maybe let's ask this: Why number seven? Hmm. I thought it looked cool on a jersey. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've asked you that before, and, and I think that's the exact answer you gave me, man. Uh, so yeah, I think that's I, I you know I don't there's no it other does it's it number seven so there's no denying it. I put a little you know another stroke on there it turns into a number two which looks pretty cool as well. That's right. <laughs> Colin, man, uh, congrats on a, just an outstanding Hall of Fame career. I know you continue to do great things with the folks at the track and the Rock Elite League and all the rest of it, man. Uh, really appreciate you making a little time here on Lax Class for us, and uh, welcome to the Hall of Fame, man. It looks real good on you. Appreciate it a lot, guys. Thanks for the kind words, and thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Our pleasure. There he is, Evan, or there he was, uh, Hall of Famer Colin Doyle. I know Brad's going to be a little upset he had to miss out on that one because Colin was one of his favorite players to watch, but... This guy was about as entertaining as it gets when when it comes to watching the game of lacrosse. Like, played with the fire, played with passion, played with skill, played with heart. And, like I said, as clutch as you could be, you knew when the game was on the line, it was going through number seven, whether he was feeding or shooting, and something good was going to happen. And a simple thing, as a numbers guy, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody... Five a game, book it. Like, every night... Five a game. Yeah. Book it. Yeah. Incredible, yeah. incredible career. And it's a shame that he had to wait as long as he did. But he's in now, and it, and it looks good on him. And uh, happy to see it. Happy to have that conversation as well. Evan, it's time for halftime. We need to take a break here. I need to towel off uh, out of this heat, and we'll get into the second half. Third quarter action. Quick Sticks is coming up next. Oh, before we go, i got to let you know. Calls to the Hall, brought to you by Stampede Tack and Western Wear. They're Canada's largest selection of Wrangler. I told you that. Jeans, ladies, men, kids, they have jeans for everybody. Classic cut, cowboy, denim, George Strait, retrofit, all of it. Biggest dealer of Wrangler in Canada, Stampede Tack and Western Wear. They've been there since 1966. And they're out there in Cloverdale at the corner of 180th and Highway 10. Check them out online if you can't make it out. Still shopping local. Stampede.ca. Calls to the hall. All right. Quick sticks coming up next here. EP138. We're back after this. Hey, this is NL Hall of Famer Paddle Tool. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lax Class as we move into second half action. Third quarter is a go here on episode 138. I don't know, Evan, about you, but uh, when we first got this thing going, I didn't like I didn't know we would get to 138, but here we are. 
<laughs> Remember, there was a stage we didn't know if we were going to get to one or two. Yeah, yeah. I because... mean, there was the CBA. There, there was a labor labor strike. Well, honestly, man, like not to sit here and, and hurt my my shoulder, but like when the pandemic hit. Like, the CBA was one thing, because he knew they were going to get back to it at, at some point. But, like, this pandemic, getting through lax class every week here for the last 18 months with n- no games whatsoever to talk about has kind of felt like one of my biggest accomplishments in my broadcast. Like, it's been it's been a challenge to... to plow through week after week after week with and i know a lot of people are out there and they appreciate it and and that's really honestly like i know people look forward to listening to this podcast and that is really what has kind of kept me going getting through this and and i know we're we're close now and and we're gonna make it but like i thought like you know a few months in i felt like gee like what are we gonna talk about here for the next who knows how long but here we are well there was that one stage where you were like, okay, what are we going to talk about for the next eight weeks? Yeah, thinking the pandemic. Right, eight weeks. I was worried weeks. about the eight week seven. That was their. Yeah. That was our greatest team of all time tournament. Right. That's yeah. how. That's where we started with. And then we did the best fighter, and then, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame thing came around, and then we started the la- lacrosse the nation, and, the, and we and then more Hall of Fame. So you know, we got uh, we got some stuff to talk about. But honestly, like. The, the listeners have kept me thing. going, and, and this podcast has kept me going, sort of thing. There's so many great stories out there, though. It's not necessarily you have to talk about the present. Yeah, right? no, it's true. You can go and reflect on the past, and sometimes those stories come out about things that you would never have known about. Well, the Hall of Famers have been just incredible. I, I, Evan, they, I mean, they're, they're Hall of Famers for a reason. Not only for, for what they do on the floor, but for what they do off as well, and uh, they've been some of our, our favorite conversations and, and Colin Doyle was no exception. One, one of my favorites to, to well, chat with. Like if you, you go back in my history of lacrosse in Saskatchewan, there's no way to, to have seen a top level game in the nineties. Yeah. So my first exposure was when Sportsnet started broadcasting sure. Toronto rock games. Yeah, yeah. So a guy like Colin Doyle was my favorite player for years because Literally, it's the team I got to watch yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. So uh, for people, yeah. So that I mean, it's true, and and I think a lot of people have an, are in that exact same boat. That that's what hooked them watching those games on Sportsnet or TSN or whatever it was, and and seeing a, a full Maple Leaf Gardens or Scotiabank uh, like it is now. Uh, that's they're like, man, these guys are incredible athletes, and and obviously enough people uh, enjoyed what they saw and and. You know, twenty years later, here we are, man. So that that leads us into quick sticks here, and well, why don't we start there, Evan? Talking about Toronto and championships and and Colin Doyle and all the rest of it, because the Toronto Rock hold the record for the biggest crowd in NLL history here for NLL thirty five moments. 19,432 back on May 14, 2005 to watch The Rock beat The Sting. 1913, Doyle and Manning, both with eight points in that one. Whipper leads him to another championship. But what a crowd and, and scene inside Toronto there. 19,432. Biggest fan 
base ever for an NLL game. Well, I'll take you back to a story, the first game I ever saw, right? It was in Toronto at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. And coworkers of mine are just like, yeah, go down there, right? No problem getting tickets. And I get off the st- uh, the subway station at College Avenue, and there's this lineup of people from the subway station all the way to the entrance of the arena waiting to get in. I'm like, what is going on here, right? And I was lucky I could get a ticket because I was by myself. But that was how lacrosse in Toronto was back then. You had to get, you know, if if people in Saskatchewan could equate it to what was like 2016, 2017, yeah. could not get a ticket, that's what it was like in Toronto. It still blows my what, mind, Evan, that, you know, like, Sports jocks in in Toronto when they're talking about championships for Toronto franchises, they never talk about the Rock. And the Rock are the one team in that city that has actually won squat. They've won six. And, you know, they talk about Raptors, Blue Jays, TFC, Maple Leaf. The Rock win in Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they never get talked about. It blows my mind. Like, you would think that that town would be like, yeah, we do have a winner. Here you go. Have a look. But uh, anyways, uh, more quick sticks here. They got forgotten, really. Yeah, they get they get lost in the wash a little bit. Uh, but not anymore. They're in the hammer. We'll see how that goes. Don't forget that. So junior lacrosse news here. Unfortunately, the Tawaratan Lacrosse League was supposed to hold their championship starting in August. I was actually going to call this thing um, – coming up in in a couple months but it's it's been canceled they just can't get it done in ontario this summer and and you got to understand it uh the other junior league there in ontario the oj have themselves a new logo a little rebrand there for mark grimes and company the ojll so essentially they've taken the a out of it uh but nice shield colors a little maple leaf in there as well evan uh, new new branding there for the Ontario Junior Lacrosse League, uh, speaking of that, a guy that played in that league, Evan, now plays for the Atlas in, in the PLL. One Jeffrey Tate went off today for like seven goals and two assists, I think, as the Atlas got past the Cannons. But man, oh man, he didn't have a great game the first first time out, but uh, I, I think he's going to figure it out and be okay. Seven, Evan. Uh, he actually did have a decent game the first game, but what it was, he was just matched up the whole game, right? He could not get the ball. And, and I actually had a laugh where the commentator stated that he had two early turnovers that he was rusty in. I'm like, he's not rusty. It's the, His teammates are not used to somebody trying to thread the ball through right. three sticks and hit him, yeah. right? Yeah, got to um, be ready. Got to be ready at any time <laughs> for a Jeff T pass. You know, for an Atlas team that – is in a rebuilding stage. There's, well, there's nobody better to try and rebuild around. My goodness. Like, you put Tate on that squad, like, it it instantly gets better, man. <laughs> like, and the impact. I like that cost deal, too, a lot. Can't wait to see him out for the Philly Wings. Um, NLL, and, well, PLL, NLL, Andy Towers, head coach of the Chaos, named as one of the Albany Firewolves scouts, Eastern scout here. So, you're one of your favorites, if not your all-time favorite, Evan. Andy Towers, a little more connected with the NLL once again, is this time in a scouting role. Well, you got to love Coach Towers. I mean, if nothing else for the comedic relief for those sideline 
pep talks, right? Yeah. Uh, which you, you have to have a seven. If second nothing else, he's entertaining, on. right? Right. But yeah, I mean, here's a guy that if you're looking to get American talent, that's if and don't kid yourself. You want to get this diamond in the rough, you better be looking at the U.S. This is a guy that's well connected with a lot of top field lacrosse players. Can you convert them? Absolutely. I, I, no, I like I like the hire a lot. Um, I love this story as well, Evan. I don't know if you saw this coming through the USA Box La channels, but the Colorado Collegiate Box Lacrosse League have themselves a new star between the pipes. Last name is Milky, but the first name, Evan, is Emma. Female goaltender, 2-0 and for her Bisons over last weekend. And you love to see this. Female star in between the Nets and the Box League. That's actually not the, the, the big part of the story. It's she's 2-0. and Like, she is not a headline grabber. She is a legit goaltender. 2-0, and Bisons, right? I said that. Yeah. So that's really the key here is, <laughs> hey, you've got a top-level female goaltender in that league now. Look out. Love to see it. Uh, following in the footsteps of Ginny Caprioni, and um, it's it's pretty cool. Valerie, I'm blowing. I'm, like I'm drawing blanks lately, Evan, and I'm attributing it to what's what's the other female box goaltenders? Valerie, man, she's on Twitter. You know who I'm talking about, Evan? I, I should know this. Help yeah. me out here, Valerie. If I'm not mistaken, yes. Uh, you're right. I'm sorry. It is 40 freaking degrees here in British Columbia right now as we're recording, Evan. And I, I, I'm serious. Like, it's affecting the way I think right now where I'm just drawing blanks on names for some reason. So I I apologize. And I know she listens, which is the worst part of it all. So to, to keep digging there, Evan, because I want to give her the recognition she deserves while we carry on here. But I got one more quick stick. Uh, actually, I got two. Playing from behind, uh, I've mentioned this guy before a couple times on Twitter. This guy's going to be like a future GM or something in this league. Mark my words here. I think he's like a, a younger player right now, but he's clearly an intelligent human being and loves to dive into the stats and the analytics a little bit, which I know you'll appreciate, Evan. But kind of look at he, – he took a look at the protected rosters from each team and then kind of computed their core's average age – and this is pretty telling to see how each roster stacked up as far as their core or their protected nucleus's average age. Do you see this? Yeah, and there's a few telling signs there, right? Halifax is old, right? They they didn't the players they got to protect were pretty good. Rachel <laughs> Valarelli. Thank you very Rachel, much. I just My bad, up, Rachel. So Thank you. Yes. And um, so Saskatchewan is no longer young, right? Luckily, Derek Keenan keeps piling up draft picks, but they're not young anymore. So the teams that we were accustomed to seeing on the one side of the scale have now shifted. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it a fascinating article. I, I suggest you check it out. I think I retweeted it. Play, I'm playing... From behind, if if you want to watch or, or read his stuff, uh, you can sign up. Actually, he's got like a 
a link where you can just become a subscriber to his content and you just get it emailed straight to your to your inbox every time he puts something out which is super handy so i like that keep it up uh nice work there the final quick stick i got evan i keep wanting to call you brad um that we we talked a lot about it off the top but randy stotts um getting together with ryan ireland and and man i read this article that these two produced and it it struck just about every emotion you could think of uh reading that is is you learn some kind of horrific truths about about our country i know we spent a lot of time off the open up but i wanted to make mention of this article in particular between conversation between randy stotts and, and ryan ireland which i thought was very well done it's an, it's another eye opener and i'll tell you this if you've ever followed randy stotts on social media he was holding back in that article yeah Yep. If he was to tell the whole truth, it would be far more grim than anything was ever in that article. Yeah, and, he, and Randy's become a real leader in that regard, speaking up and speaking out uh, on behalf of, of the Iroquois and the Indigenous people and, and the Six Nations in particular. Uh, Randy's been a real beacon um, and, and been one of the guys that has been real outspoken on, on a lot of these issues, along with Bombay and, and, and a couple others, so... Good for Randy Stotts for, for talking about it and, and trying to help people understand. Yeah, I mean, we all have to learn more, right? And we do. We, we keep talking about this Truth and Reconciliation Commission and all these recommendations that came out a decade ago and we haven't really moved forward. Saskatchewan's got 20 more of these schools that they're examining the ground on right now. Yeah. You, you better it's get more coming, educated man. fast because there's more coming. More coming. Uh, we will, speaking of more coming, there's nothing more coming as far as quick sticks go this week, but we got one more quarter to come here on EP138, and we'll tell you who our Stampede Stallion of the Week is next, right here on Lacrosse Classified, Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. Hey, this is Brendan Bomberry from the Georgia Swarm and Iroquois Nationals. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified on Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back as we move into the fourth and final quarter here on Lacrosse Classified. Jake Elliott, Evan Sheminar with you and Associated Labels and Packaging with us as well. Finally got in touch with uh, Jasmine Sahota down there at uh, Associated Labels and Packaging. She wanted to let me know that ALP is a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. Over 40 years of experience and an extensive product catalog, an ever-growing fleet of equipment, and Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. I've been saying this week after week, but Jasmine just laid it out beautifully there. I can't say it any better than that. AssociatedLabelsAndPackaging.com is where you can find them. Best in the business. You know it. I know it. Uh, take it to the bank, man. Uh, Evan, Stampede Stallion time of the week. I uh, hope you got your hat and your spurs and your boots on because we're heading for the stables. Hey! 
We have reached the Stampede Tack and Western Wear Stables way out uh, in the back 40 here. As uh, Evan, you're, you you haven't been on the podcast in a while, but uh, for maybe the people that are new to the podcast going, what the hell is a Stampede Stallion? Well, the Stampede Tack and Western Wear Stallion of the Week, Brad kind of came up with this baby just to kind of shine the spotlight, if you will, to honor a few guys that may never be Hall of Famers in the National Lacrosse League, but guys that every team would want to have on their roster, guys that have been around the league for a while and and put in the good service and may not jump off the stat page at you, but these guys deserve some recognition, and and that's kind of how the Stampede Stallion of the Week was born. And this week, it is one... Kyle Bucky Buchanan, who joins the stable this week. And Kyle Buchanan, well, let's have a look here, Brad. Uh, Robert Morris grad, of course, but was a sixth-round pick back in 2012. Uh, and, and started, this guy's been around a while here, Evan, uh, since 2012, of course, but Stealth Wings, Black Wolves, uh, I believe a little cup of coffee with the bandits in there as well san diego his last stop here um what do we got over oh, just under 130 games played for kyle buchanan but as i mentioned in, in in kind of what the stallion is all about real glue guy here and a guy that everybody i think this guy was a mike kelly award winner as the man cup mvp one year for the for the peterborough lakers as well but just kind of fits into any roster and plays the role that he needs to play. If he needs him to kind of be a number one or a two guy, he can carry the load. But if he need him to be a number three guy, he's more than happy to do that as well. And always kind of prowling around the crease looking for those garbage goals too. Uh, you know, when you say a guy that's in behind the scenes, I, I never would think of Kyle Buchanan as somebody behind the scenes. But when you look at his more recent years in New England, you know, he was, you know, prior to Callum Crawford, Coming there, he was the he was the gun. Yeah, right. Yeah. Then he gets picked up in the expansion draft, goes to San Diego, and you're kind of wondering, it's like, okay, what's going to happen here? He's he was like the first. The he the was conference. the first San Diego Seal ever, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, once again, here's a guy that was the goal scoring machine, and when he wasn't. He left everybody else dead wide open, right? So, I, once again, this is a guy that if I want, if I'm looking at a free agent pool right now, I'm making the phone call. You know, good player. Currently, man. I, believe, I believe he had signed with the Bandits this past off season. Of course, that never happened. So we'll see where well, he maybe lands. Maybe that's what but, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what. I, yeah, that's right. That's why I was like, yeah. Didn't he have a cup of coffee? Oh, he hasn't. He signed with the Bandits. He just hasn't played for the Bandits yet. Right. And if he goes back to the Bandits, that'll be an interesting dynamic. Fraser you know? Smith. Yeah, playing. You know. I think he'll fit in, man. Like I said, the guy fits in wherever you put him, Evan. Like he'll. He's one of the most dangerous players on his wrong side as well. Like you'll always kind mm-hmm. of file being a right-handed guy. Like he's always kind of on the on the left-handed crease doing doing something over there as well. Like he he just kind of gets gets the game and and has figured things out. Uh, so Kyle Buchanan and Peterborough Lakers 
MVP, not Man Cup MVP. Still pretty good as uh, essentially Peterborough Lakers. <laughs> like if you're the MVP of Peterborough's roster, you're probably doing something pretty good. So Kyle Buchanan, Bucky, welcome to the stable, brother. You are this week's Stampede Stallion of the Week. And of course, Seven, the Stallion of the Week brought to you by Stampede Tack and Western Wear. Along with the classic Storm Rider jean jacket, you're probably not wearing a jean jacket today in British Columbia. I have an over 40 degrees here as uh, my forehead is literally dripping while we record here. But uh, out there in Cloverdale since 1966, Canada's largest Wrangler dealer, of course, as well. But if you've never been by the store... You can always go online, stampede.ca, where shopping online is still shopping local. Boots, jeans, belts, hats, you name it, they got it. Stampede.ca, check them out in Cloverdale or online at stampede.ca. Uh, Evan, that was a monster program, man. Uh, a lot of fun to, to catch up with you and to, to chat with Colin Doyle. We thank him for coming on. To our sponsors, of course, Stampede Tack, the Warriors, Associated Labels and Packaging for their continued support. To you, the loyal listener, without you, this podcast uh, probably doesn't exist. It might. Like, I might just do it even if nobody listened, Evan, but probably not. So thanks for listening to Lax Class. We'll be back next week. You already know. CP22, Casey Powell is coming up next week. So look forward to that and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Evan might be back, might be a different guest host. We don't know yet. Until then, we appreciate uh, you checking out Lacrosse Classified right here on the home of Lax Class, Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Don't forget, subscribe, review, follow along on social media as well. But now we are done. For Evan Sheminar, I've been Jake Elliott. And for the fastest game on two feet, and for the creator. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay classified.